Welcome to Launch Into Teaching with me, Julia Padgett. This is a podcast for new or early career teachers who want to become the next generation of outstanding practitioners and teaching colleagues. This season is dedicated to teacher recruitment. I've spoken with some outstanding school leaders and they've shared their insights into the recruitment process. All their ideas have been very different, so it's worth listening to all of the episodes, even if you're not sure if that's a sector that you'll apply for. Today, I'm joined by Tegan Collins. Currently, Tegan is the Associate Principal at Westbourne Grammar. She's an accomplished school leader and has held a variety of roles, including Director of Nepal, Head of Sport, Head of Faculty and Director of Programs. Throughout her career, Tegan has been drawn to schools with a strong sense of community and those that offer a rich values-based education, focusing on the holistic development of each and every child. And if you've spent any time in Tegan's company, you can tell that this is something that she lives and breathes every day. Welcome, Tegan. Hi, Julia. Thank you so much for having me. So let's um, begin by discussing the school that you work at. If you could tell us a little bit about um, how many students, your location. Of course. So I'm at Westbourne Grammar School and we're an independent school in the west of Melbourne from ELC Tier 12, our main campus in Traganina. Uh, And we have a campus at Williamstown, which is prep to four. So all luck, we're just about to hit the 2000 student mark, which is a big milestone for us. So we're we're very uh, pleased and and very proud of the growth that we've achieved, uh, particularly over the past 18 months. And we also have some land holdings just outside of Lovely Bank. Uh, which is targeted and and toted to be one of the next biggest uh, regional rural areas uh, in the outer west of Melbourne or Victoria. So we're looking to launch a third campus in our future, which is really exciting. Uh, And we have just over 400 staff between casual, uh, permanent, ongoing teaching and, uh, of course, our professional staff, which mean that our schools can actually run, uh, which is important. So it it is a a big operation, if you like, and my role uh, sits across both campuses. So I do get... uh, the lovely opportunity to be able to to be across both. And um, if anyone knows our Williamstown campus, you will certainly know that our head of campus down there has the best office in the entire school because it overlooks the the bay and the strand there. Glorious. So let's just start with independent schools because sometimes it can be a little bit tricky for people to understand the recruitment process. Um, So tell us, where would I find jobs listed if I'm looking, if I'm interested at working at Westbourne or any independent school, where would you recommend people start looking? Yeah, it's a great question. I think back in my day, you know, we used to get the age on a Saturday morning and trawl through to see what jobs were listed. But I think it's, even though that is still a good place to start, it certainly has shifted now, particularly in the current landscape. Uh, I think for me, I'd be all your hotspots, which I'm sure people have spoken about in the past in this series, you know, particularly Seek and the Age But I think more so now what we're seeing is that schools themselves are putting out expressions of interest for recruitment more broadly. So even just reaching out and contacting the schools that you're interested in working in, whether it's independent uh, Catholic government schools, whatever it may be. uh, And we certainly have, for example, uh, an open page on our come and work with us section on our website where people can submit their CVs constantly and our Director of People, Strategy and Culture, which oversees our HR branch, he's constantly meeting with 
uh, with people who are submitting through those channels. And I think that more so, particularly in the independent sector, we're seeing that function come to light. So if I was looking for a, for a position now, that's certainly where I'd be starting and really starting to target those schools where you think the value set align with you and where you really want to work. So, so that's probably how I would approach it. And I think we need to debunk a myth. I think there's a bit of a, a bit of a perception that independent schools don't necessarily consider graduates or early career teachers. Certainly from my experience, that is absolutely not been the case. We're here at Kilvington exceptionally welcoming to our beginning teachers. Um, I think we probably both got our starts in our careers at independent schools as well. Tell me what your experience has been with recruitment of beginning and early career teachers in the independent sector. I certainly was fortunate to have my start uh, in an independent school and I think that you're absolutely right. The, it, it is a myth and I, I think that um, it's certainly, well, I hope it's certainly been debunked now. Uh, we have a graduate teacher program, for example, which is uh, in support of all of our graduate teachers and we feel that they're a really critical part of our workforce. Uh, the ideas that they bring from being fresh out of initial teacher education is so critical to the balance of our teams and the balance of high-performing teams across the school. And, of course, uh, it is a really big jump, and I'm sure if there's any graduate teachers listening out there, they will acknowledge what a big jump it is the first couple of years in the profession and um, all of the things that we need to take into account. But schools more so than more now than ever uh, are really acknowledging what graduate teachers bring to our profession and I just think it's critical for us to be able to invest in young people because someone invested in us once upon a time uh, so it's about paying it back as well. I completely agree and hence why this podcast is, is happening now because it is really about knowing that our beginning and early career teachers need our support and um, as experienced educators, I think it really is incumbent on us to make sure that we're helping the next generation of teachers. You, you mentioned about targeting schools earlier. So, you know, a lot of schools, as you say, have expressions of interest. You can go onto their website, register. I know uh, with the reduction of face-to-face -face teaching loads, which a lot of um, independent schools have also adopted, there can often be recruitment evenings. There can be days where, um, you know, they're inviting people to come along and, and look at the school. What do you think, Tegan, are the really important, I suppose, characteristics or um, sort of non-negotiables when people are applying for a job, especially when it might be their first job? What do you think they should be looking for in a school? Mm. I think they should be looking for a school that aligns with their value set and, you know, coming, having worked in an independent Catholic school previously, I think one of the biggest myths was that you had to be Catholic to work in that school. And I think that sometimes it is having conversations with people that work in those environments. And I think that's a, it's another one of my tips is that if you can and if you know somebody that works at that school, talk to them, reach out to them, uh, ask them what their day looks like, ask them what professional learning opportunities exist within the school, ask them what the culture is. And I think that that's really critical to be discerning. Uh, it's all about fit. And I think for schools on the other side of the interview panels, that's increasingly something that we're looking for is are they the right fit for our culture and are they the right fit for our organisation? And it's not necessarily about experience. It's, skills and experience is obviously important uh, and we need more qualified, fantastic teachers uh, in our profession. Uh, but it's not necessarily always having the experience behind us, but it is about am I the right fit for this organisation? And I think as well reflecting on what can I bring 
uh, early career and, and graduate teachers can, in my experience, uh, bring fantastic ideas, bring um, be a fantastic fit for our organisation. So it is about thinking, what can I bring to this school? Uh, do I see myself within this culture? And is this a culture that I want to be part of? So I think that discerning process is, is an important one. I I'm certainly remember when I graduated and I could see the ads coming out for graduate teachers and you think I should just be applying for everything to throw my hat in the ring. And it can be exhausting. I'm sure you remember that mm-hmm. time as well. Absolutely. And you're writing cover letter after cover letter or thinking, should I put this in here? And, and it's a little bit rinse and repeat. Uh, but I think a more targeted approach is is certainly, if I had my time again, that is certainly something that I would um, take on board. Yeah. And when I first started as well, I actually didn't go straight into, I'd finished my degree and I actually decided I needed a bit of time. And so I did CRT, which I think was one of the best things I did because deciding to not apply in that huge rush period of, you know, now sort of September, October time into sort of January, where there is a lot of jobs available, of course, by doing CRT, what I found was it gave me sort of the best part of four months to try a lot of local schools in my area. Um, And, you know, even trialing doing some CRT, doing some volunteer work in the lead up to applying at some of these schools can really help you to have that lived experience of that school in a non-committal way. You know, I'm there doing CRT for a day or I'm there volunteering or I'm there at the after-school care program and you do get a sense quite quickly as to whether or not that is a good fit for you, which probably leads quite nicely into my next question, which is about the application process. So I've had some great conversations um, with Jacinta Sheridan um, about the Catholic system. I've also spoken with a really good friend of mine, Tammy Jo, in the state system. So we've sort of covered off the RE accreditation and the success criteria, which can often exist in in those particular sectors. Would anyone expect to find something equivalent in an independent school application? Like, is there anything that sometimes it may they may come across when they're applying in an independent school that might be different from those other two sectors? Perhaps not necessarily. In my experience, some independent schools will provide key selection criteria, some independent schools may not, mm-hmm. um, particularly if they're using a recruitment or a, um, an executive search firm for people who might be applying for um, more senior positions. There may be certain key selection criteria that need to be responded. For our graduate teachers, it is a cover letter and their CV, and I think that's where the cover letter becomes so important, uh, really tailoring that to the organisation. You know, I think having read as you would have, Julia, a number of cover letters and a number of CVs, it is about making sure that it stands out. And I think we can all sense when it's copied and pasted from the website, which is really tempting when we're under the pump, we're applying for lots of things, life is busy, but as much as we can, really tailoring it and trying to let your personality shine through and your values. I always think if I after I've read a cover letter and a, um, a CV, I'd really like to get an essence of what this person is about. So what's going to make you stand out and how are you going to add and bring value to the organisation in a really humble way? Yep, I agree. It's about being authentic because people want um, people that are authentic in the interview process because often, as you say, the important parts are that you've got the right qualifications, that you can do the job. But Often when we are on the other side of the table recruiting, we're also very conscious of the sort of personalities of the people of the team that you'll be joining and really depending on the size of the independent school or the particular faculty or um, sub-team you might be joining, we're also really conscious of that team dynamic that already exists and we're looking at that person across the table from us and also deciding is this person going to be a good fit for our organisation from a cultural perspective as well. So I think 
coming to these interviews and being your authentic self is so important. Mm. There's two things that spring to mind as you're talking about being authentic. The One of our mantras here for hiring is that we, we want people uh, that are humble, hungry and smart and we are... Uh, we talk about that a lot, actually. Uh, I think that connects back to my, my humble comment earlier. Uh, but also it's about, which is, is really challenging in the time, but when we do have rejection or when we find out that it's a no, sometimes it's not always about your skills and expertise. It can come down to fit mm-hmm. and it can come down to that team balance and dynamics balance. And I know that... Uh, that feeling of rejection is, is never nice. And uh, as sometimes we wish we could do for our students, take it away from them. Uh, but we know that we can't. Uh, but that's a whole other topic for, for another day. But I think just for, for those people who are experiencing that at the moment, just to remember that it's so much is about fit. And it may not be that you didn't have the skills or the expertise. It just may have come down to team dynamics and that somebody was a better fit than you were. It's hard to hear it, I know, and being and being someone who also sometimes has to deliver that feedback, it can be really hard to articulate sort of the nuance of what it was in that process. Um, and, again, it's one of those things that it's always a learning experience and you learn as much from the jobs that you do secure from the ones that you don't. And I always think it's great to, um, as you say, just listen to that feedback um, in, the, in, the, in the sense that it's being given and not read too much into it. It's three people's view on you it's not how everyone views you and it it's 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 not always easy to receive that and it's becoming quite common now I don't know about you Tegan I frequently in fact almost all the interviews I've done recently people have asked for feedback which I think is absolutely brilliant especially from our beginning and early career teachers because often there is some really quite targeted things that they can do and, and hopefully that little bit of advice means that the next time they go for that job they get it. I couldn't agree more. Something that I found really useful and have found useful through my interview processes over the years is after the interview, after the first interview, taking notes of what questions were asked, how you answered it, what examples you used, and then with a critical lens thinking, what did I miss? Did I miss an example here? Uh, Did I not answer that question as well as I could have? And what if I am fortunate enough to get another interview, what would I want to make sure I get across? And that is almost like a little running tally. And then I have a bit of a refresh before the second interview if I'm lucky enough to get it. And then it's it's a bit of a frame to know, oh, I know that I need to touch on these areas because I didn't touch on them last time. So you weave those into your responses. And I think that even adding in the feedback that you get from whether it's successful or unsuccessful, uh, forming a bit of a running tally of that process because we get into the interview swing don't we when we're applying for jobs and in that mm-hmm. process you do get into a swing of interview responses how to respond uh, what type of information they're looking for styles of questions so the, the um, sooner we can fast track getting into the swing of that process I think the better. Mm. So when we get into the interview I've asked everyone for their top three tips for interviews which I know is hard to narrow it down to three but what would you say for people coming into their first interview process, their beginning teacher, you know, don't have a huge amount of, you know, they don't feel like they have a huge amount to draw on coming into a quite a, you know, somewhat intimidating situation. You might be sitting opposite a panel of three or four staff members. What are your top three tips, Tegan? I hope that they don't walk into a panel like I did in my first interview. There was eight people in the room. It was horrifying. So <laughs> I hope that's not the case. Crazy. Uh, for me, tips are, for me, the top tips would be uh, be really specific with your responses. Think that 
something I experience is if uh, motherhood statements or statements that are quite vague, if, the, if they're not underpinned uh, by, by really specific examples, then it can get lost. So those examples are really important for me, number one. And, and to, for graduates, particularly early career teachers, to not be, not be uh, disillusioned if there's not an example that's in a classroom setting for example, if they haven't worked in a school before, it might be something that they did on placement or it might connect to uh, something that they did at, at university or it might connect to something they observed when they were uh, observing their, their mentor teacher. You know, being really savvy with the way that we make connections with our learning uh, to be able to use specific examples. So that's certainly number one. Number two would be to be concise and to be clear with your responses. And I've been mindful of that in this conversation that we're having because there's nothing worse than someone who talks for too long. And as the person on the other side of the table, you're thinking, gosh, when are they going to stop talking? And then you almost lose the essence of what they're saying because they've yes. talked for too long. So yep. uh, being really concise and whether it's the uh, STAR method or, you know, there's lots, so many different methods of uh structuring your responses that you can kind of tick through but just really trying to keep it short and concise uh, I'm going to be cheeky and add in another two because with the short and concise yep. the, <laughs> which is going against what I'm saying about being short and concise, anyway, <laughs> with the short and concise at, at the end of your responses I always like to think about what would I have done differently so even though mm. I'm providing an example whether it be about um, pastoral support in the classroom um, effectively structuring curriculum or unit planning uh, okay so this is what I did this was the time that I did it this is how I did it these are, these are the examples and if I had my time again or the next time I'm working on this, this is how I, I might approach that differently. And that shows just that reflective human element, which mm -hmm. for me is really important. So but finally, important. is not, not to be afraid to ask the interviewer to repeat the question or to ask for clarity or at the end of response to say, I think I captured everything that you asked in that, in that question, but was there anything you'd like me to elaborate on? Uh, I, I can get in stuck into a terrible pattern and I hope that there's no one listening here that goes oh yes I've been in an interview with Tegan and she did this to me <laughs> of asking four-part questions yes and I think we are guilty of that I mean I even I've just you know conscious of how I'm asking you questions I think I'm asking you three <laughs> questions in one hit but I love that last sentence you said about is there anything else I can elaborate on because it's just showing again in the moment that self-awareness of I think I've her, I think I've answered the question. I think I've interpreted the question correct, correctly, but it just gives an opportunity at that exact point to make a very small correction, which could have quite a significant outcome on the um, on the interview process. I love that. I'm actually going to steal that from you, Tegan. We were both really fortunate to attend the World Business Forum in Sydney. Uh, was it last week? It was. feels like it was long ago than that now, but it was last week. And we were very fortunate to hear um, so many uh, amazing speakers. But Amy Cuddy, uh, the American social psychologist, um, for those of you that haven't heard of Amy Cuddy, she obviously came to fame with her TED Talk in 2012 about the power stance. And she touched on something quite interesting around um, the notion of your body language, um, how you um, hold yourself and the confidence and the sort of implied confidence that brings. And I suppose my question to you is around what do you see as those body language cues and in interviews that you'd really want to see people displaying? 
Mm, it's a great question. And I love Amy Cuddy. When I saw that she was headlining headlining the World Business Forum, I thought, oh, my goodness, this is fantastic. I'm a bit of a fangirl. Mm. Uh, her book on presence is fantastic for anyone who's an avid reader. Uh, and she narrates the audio book. So she's also got a, a great accent. So that, that went down well. If anyone's uh, not perhaps... Uh, into reading but would like to listen to the audiobook so that's certainly something I can recommend I think for me having presence and she Amy talks a lot about this it, it can be this intangible feeling and we we want to develop presence in our teachers and this can certain this is certainly something that we talk a lot about with our graduate teachers and early career teachers is how do you have presence in the classroom uh, because that's so important for educating our young people uh, and in, in dealing with parents, in working with other staff, that presence is really important. But in an interview, it's even more important to have a strong presence and, and how do you do that? For me, some really, and it sounds really simple, but it's, it's about the way that you're sitting, the way that you enter the room uh, and the way that you engage with everybody on the panel. I think making sure that you remember names making sure that you make eye contact with everyone in the room uh, frequently. And sometimes we can just have a favoured side that we look to. So if you're sitting at the top of a table and you've got people to your left and people to your right, just being really conscious about the way that you're interacting and engaging with them. And particularly if there's students on the panel, making sure you remember their names and treat them as an equal participant in the interview panel. You know, that's something that is surprisingly something that, that we've observed because mm. we have students on most of our panels mm. at Westbourne that we feel as though that's a really important part of student agency and they're, they're an equal contributor to the panel and we talk to them about confidentiality and interviews and everything like that. But it's, uh, I can talk about that. We can talk about that separately. Yes, <laughs> it's a great but way. Making, yeah. sure, making sure that if you the most senior person in the room isn't the one that you're looking at all the time. Yeah. And I think that can be people trying to be respectful, but it can also be perceived in other ways. So just that presence of mind uh, for me is really important. But I'm a big fan of a power move before you yeah. go into an interview, uh, that instilling that confidence, that's that sense of self. So, uh, yeah, a big fan of Amy's work. Yeah, I think if anyone hasn't seen it, I think, yeah, her book presence, I've just ordered a copy after last week. So make sure I've got that ready to read over the summer break. But I think um, in another season, I'm really going to explore some of these other concepts around, um, you know, perception of self, perception with others, um, perception with parents. Because I think when you come into the teaching profession, especially as a beginning teacher, you are joining, obviously, a, a, a really important profession. And it's seen, despite what people might say, I still think it's seen in very high regard by our community and I think there are some things that you can do really small things that can actually make sure that that very much is is how you're perceived um around so I'll I will touch on that in a bit more of a uh, another season I'm interested to know though about your students on your panel tell talk us a little bit through that so character and agency sit at the center of our teaching and learning philosophy titled inspire and for us we had a bit of an audit, if you like, about ways that we promote student character and the ways that we promote student agency. And the same for our teaching, academic and professional staff, but we really focused on students over the past 18 months. And one thing for us was that bringing people into our organisation and, and our workforce is the number one investment for us. It's, it's our 
colleagues have the most interaction with our young people on a day-to-day basis. And from a cultural perspective, we want to instill a really positive culture. So who we're bringing in, we need to make smart decisions about who we're bringing into our organisation. And we thought, who better to have a say in this than our students? And we all know the insights and the observations that our students make and the context that they bring. You know, I just think it's quite fascinating and, and I perhaps hadn't thought about it enough, but we employ people every single, well, perhaps not every single day, well, across Australia and across yep. the world, we employ educators every single day to stand in front of and to engage with students, but yep. we don't give students a voice in that decision-making process. Uh, and, of course, we have to be discerning and there's confidentiality concerns and, you know, all of those things, but we've put some structures in place. And I must say, the students that I've worked with on on panels, the comments and the questions and the observations that they have are searingly insightful Mm -hmm. and they bring and add so much to that conversation and pick up on things that we don't because when you get into being in an interview and you've been in back-to-back meetings or back-to-back classes and you rush to that interview at 4 o'clock and you've got 45 minutes, uh, the, the students just bring a whole different perspective. Uh, so for me and for us here at Westbourne, that's something that, that we're really passionate about. Uh, and in talking to Year 12s this year, who some of who were involved on panels, they said to me that that was the highlight of their time at Westbourne, being involved in something like that. So I think for anyone who's listening out there who's constructing panels in schools, yeah. I'd certainly encourage you to think about how that could work in your school. I think it's brilliant. We've covered off... I mean, this has just been the strength of doing these interviews with such a wide variety of different sectors is we've talked about portfolios, we've talked about um, teachers coming into, um, you know, part of the interview process and actually teaching a lesson. Um, We've talked about days where you could go in and do a walkthrough ahead of whether or not you want to put your application at the school. So this has just been so insightful to um, just cue grads and graduates and early career teachers into all the different ways that you might be engaged as part of the recruitment for that school it's going to be hugely different but hopefully by hearing some of these different modes if it does happen to be one of those you're not taken aback by it or there's no surprises as part of that process I'm going to finish off with my last question which is is there anything else that you think people should be looking for when they're looking for a prospective job so I know we've touched on a few things but is there anything else it could be maybe for when someone's looking at the job description all the way through to maybe signing a contract or an induction period anything that springs to mind Hmm. What springs to mind? I think we've we've talked about the the big ticket items of yes. the values alignment and culture and and speaking to people in the organisation if you can. Yeah. I think for me, I'm a I'm really big on as and I know you are as well involving ourselves in continued learning and continued learning and development of self. So for me, it would be. Do they have a professional learning policy? Do they have a further study assistance policy? You know, if you were going to continue to do your master's or further study, is your school going to support you with that? So some of those nuances. Uh, and perhaps something that we we didn't touch on is that the team that you're going to be working with, you know, sometimes I think that that can be a great question to ask, you know, mm. what's the team dynamic, who's on the team, whether it's a year six classroom teacher team, whether it's a uh, science faculty, who are you going to be reporting to? You know, it's hard to ask those questions in an interview, but we can be broad yes. and say, 
I'd love to hear about the team that uh, the, the science faculty and, and what they're like. Or you know, I think there's certain ways that we can ask that uh, question to fill our our uh, to help our decision when we get yep. to it. And I think the other thing to remember too is that interviews are two ways. Yep. So sometimes we feel as though if we get offered a job that we have to take it. Yes. Uh, this might seem contrary to the conversation that we're having. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but if you, it, the interview is a, is a two-way process. If you don't yep. get a good feeling and in your, in your gut you're thinking, oh, I'm not quite sure if this is the right fit and they yep. offer you the job, you don't have to take it. I agree. Uh, there's ways that you can that you can communicate that and I'd always pick up the phone never send an email always yeah, pick agree. up the phone and have a conversation if you're not going to accept a position uh, but I think that's also really important too is that it's a two-way street and you're interviewing them as just as much as they're interviewing you yeah absolutely I just think um, the part the part that you made then about the ongoing professional learning, I think as well, also extends to the VIT. I mean, here in Victoria, we've got um, the inquiry that you need to complete as part of moving from uh, provisional to full registration. And I think all those sorts of questions around how will I be supported, we don't see those as being selfish or egocentric. We see that as someone who is really um, taking that sort of keen interest in how they will continue to better and further themselves in their career, which is which is what we're all about. Thank you so much for joining me today. I've been so thrilled with the responses. The things that you've contributed um, have just added to what's been a really rich tapestry of responses from all the people that I've spoken to, and I really appreciate your contributions. Thank you so much, Tegan. My pleasure, Julia. Thank you so much for having me, and good luck to everybody out there. Uh, and if if I can be of any assistance, uh, please always reach out. Happy to happy to have any conversations to help our graduate and early career teachers. That's really uh, kind. And contribute because yeah. I was certainly fortunate to have people to speak to when I was going through the process. So so happy to take the discussion offline. Thanks again, Julia. Thank you, Tegan. What a fantastic interview. I think. Tegan's passion for developing teachers and education more broadly really came through in how she responded to all my questions today. Hungry, humble and smart. What a great catchphrase used to describe what staff at Westbourne Grammar are looking for during the recruitment process. I think one thing Tegan said, which is really worth remembering, is that whilst it can be really daunting to approach schools, know that a lot of independent schools do have a HR department and that really they are looking to follow up with anyone that approaches them for work. They may not have something at that exact point, but you can be guaranteed that they'll be keeping your details on file if something was to come up. And I think, as Tegan mentioned, there's often expressions of interest uh, forms that you can fill in on their website. If you found this episode helpful, make sure you hit subscribe at Spotify, Apple and Google Podcasts so you're the first to know when all my other episodes drop. The show notes can be found on my website, launchintoteaching.com.au. There you'll also find a link to my socials. I'd love to hear from you, connect, and if there's anything else that you'd like me to cover, do let me know. 